The Athletic. Shakhtar Karagandhi, Kolos Kovalivka, Torpedo Bel Az Zodino, Pogon Shazetchin, Spartak Ternava, Suduva, Vojvodina, Ozijek. Tottenham fans, these are some of the teams that your team are likely to face in next season's Europa Conference League if Spurs stay where they are in the Premier League at the moment. It's obviously very different from the Champions League teams that Spurs used to play only two years ago. This is where Spurs' season is heading, unfortunately. My name's Jack Pitbrook. You're listening to the View from the Lane podcast. I'm joined, as always, by James Moore. Uh, how are you feeling about the, the prospect of Europa Conference League football next year, should it come to that? I, I tell you what I'm baffled about, uh, and that's that no one has been able to tell me what day of the week this thing is being played on. Thursday. So where is it? this is the same day as Europa League? Uh, yes. I mean, this is the key question, genuinely the key question for the competition for me, what day of the week it's on. Uh, with all due respect to those teams, and I know very little about most of them, yeah, it doesn't exactly set pulses racing, does it? Well, no, it's, uh, it's yeah, I mean, it's strange, isn't it? Because it's a mixture of teams who've done really well from smaller ranked countries and then teams who've finished seventh in in the top coefficient leagues. So I don't know what that will mean for motivation. You know, will that mean that the big coefficient teams will be much less motivated than the uh, than the smaller league teams? Will it be a big chance for those teams to uh, you know to finally win a trophy? I'm not against I'm not against the idea of it on that on those grounds. I think it's I think given that, you know, compared to say 10, 20, 30 years ago, we can see that even the Europa League, which is obviously the, the second the second bracket of competition, that is so dominated, completely monopolised now by English and Spanish teams in a way that is sort of true of the Champions League to a slightly different extent. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that teams like uh, Red Star Belgrade or Stal Bucharest would do really, really all... You know, Rangers would do really, really well in... Um, uh, in those European competitions and now they've been completely blocked out by the hegemony of the English and Spanish leagues so in that sense I think it kind of makes sense to have a competition that is winnable for Spurs. teams in the smaller countries yeah well hey so this is I'm not even doing a bit here bantering off Spurs or uh, I don't really know why I'm talking about like the moral case for the Europa Conference League on this podcast it's not really why people are listening but here we are so I think it's like a good idea, but I don't. It'd be interesting to see, you know, when Spurs are flying off to Belarus or Montenegro or wherever every week next season. If it is Spurs, you know, there's they do still have three games to go. Whether people will care, you know, do you, do you think people will care, James? Will, will people go to the games? I'd be surprised. I mean, I, I've not. There's been a, a real uh, decrease in interest in the Europa League. I mean, obviously, we didn't really get to see that this season because it was all behind closed doors by the one game. But yeah, I, I think had this been a normal season in terms of like fan uh, attendance, I, I suspect some of those matches would have had incredibly low crowds, uh, which would have been quite humiliating in that massive stadium. So yeah, pe- people have kind of uh, been spoiled by Champions League football for a few years. And, and I'd be very, very surprised if there was massive interest in this, even once they got to the latter stages, if they did. I mean, it's a bit of a come down, isn't it, to go from playing, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Juventus in the Champions League, getting to the Champions League final to then playing in this kind of third level competition. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty damning, really, isn't it? But then, you know, as you say, 
I mean, it's a possibility they may not even get, uh, they may not even achieve that. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. We should say that there is still, there is still all to play for. You know, Spurs have got three games left and obviously Leicester away is quite hard, but I think Wolves at home, they should win and... Sorry, my mind's yeah, gone completely Aston blank. Villa. V- Villa. Uh, so I think that's two two winnable games. So I think they'd probably get six points minimum for those three games. And they're only one point behind Liverpool and two points behind West Ham. So while I don't think Spurs are going to get a fourth, I do think it's totally plausible they might get a fifth or sixth even now. So I wouldn't completely give up on on the prospects for European competition for next season. But it's, uh, it is very much out of their hands, isn't it? You know, Liverpool played a game less than them. Everton have played a game less than them. Maybe Spurs will have to go to the King Power Stadium on the last day of the season and try to get something. So, yeah, it's it's all up in the air. Right now, we're offering our listeners 40% off the price of a subscription to The Athletic. You can read all of our articles on Spurs, including my recent piece on why Mauricio Pochettino remains the benchmark for Tottenham in their pursuit of a new coach. To read that and so much more, go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to take advantage of our special 40% discount and subscribe to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month. Let's talk a bit about the game on Saturday lunchtime, James, um, which I thought was, yeah, it was just typical Spurs. I mean, it was like they hadn't changed the manager, you know. There some moments of great individual quality, didn't respond well to things going wrong, looked exhausted and in the second half. It was kind of bad how they were run off the pitch by a team who are 10th or 9th and yeah. have nothing to play for. They were so relentless in that second half and they looked a lot more motivated in that second half than Spurs did. I, I think it spoke of a couple of things that that are kind of obvious, but I'm not really sure we necessarily mentioned. So, you know, I, I suppose we could be accused of uh, enjoying the benefits of hindsight. But one, a, a team with a 29-year-old manager who has next to no coaching experience is just not going to be able to compete with, you know, we saw it with Guardiola the other week. And obviously he has an incredible squad, so that is slightly different. But, uh, you know, someone like Bielsa, who's been a manager for, over 30 years, his incredible experience, has kind of revolutionised the tactical side of the game. How can you expect, how can you expect Ryan Mason, you know, 29 years old, he's probably had, what, uh, 10 training sessions maybe with this team, maybe 15 or something like that. I mean, there's no way you can expect him to be able to kind of compete on a tactical level. So you are basically, it is basically coming down entirely to the ability of the players, that, you know, classic Harry Redknapp, it's just about how good the players are. I can't remember exactly how he worded that, but you know that yeah. you're talking about. And also, you know, having mentioned he's only had 15 training sessions, you can't really expect things to change too dr- dramatically, drastically from where Spurs were two months or, you know, three, four, five weeks ago. I think they've got enough in the tank to beat inferior teams who either have bad tactics or no tactics, which thankfully for Spurs is actually probably quite a few teams in the Premier League, to be brutally honest. Yeah. But Leeds are obviously are a team with a lot of good players and an incredibly well-drilled system and an incredibly good manager who knows how to manage a game and change a game and make little tweaks that work in his team's favour. And when you're in a situation like that, I don't think I, I think Spurs are still going to struggle. So I think you saw it. You know, I, I think if we were being critical to the point of maybe almost being a bit unfair on Mason, you know, in the circumstances and without wanting to be patronising, probably got the balance of that midfield wrong again. I mean, that was just a, that was just a complete, 
I mean, they got absolutely slaughtered in there, didn't they? Really, they just had Leeds just absolutely thrived in that area of the pitch. I mean, they were just running rings around them for the whole game, and it just allowed them to move the ball around so easily, create so many good chances. And you know, I, I think if you had any one of Sissoko, Winks, or Ndombele in the team, and this isn't a criticism of Deli Ali, who I thought played really well, and I know we'll come on to that in a minute. But if you had one of those three in the team, I think it maybe would have been slightly different. Yeah. But again, you know, maybe it's easy to say it would have benefit of hindsight. And the other thing is the way he, the substitutions, I think you saw, I mean, obviously Leeds are in the unusual situation of having two of their better players on the bench in Phillips and Rafinha, obviously because they've been injured, so yeah. he's able to throw them on later in the game, which, you know, it's not too often you have better players on the bench, but they did in this instance. Um, and the changes Spurs made, I mean, I think you tweeted during the game, there with a, <laughs> it was kind of like almost reverting more back to Mourinho's team. Yeah. It's quite weird on the commentary on BT, and I know people outside the UK won't have heard this, but uh, Darren Fletcher and Steve McManaman were basically saying Deli Ali was barely in the game, which I thought was a bit was yeah, a bit unfair. I mean, strange. you know, Deli Ali isn't Javi Hernandez or whatever. He's not going to make 120 passes in a game. He's going to he's a moments player, as we've said before. Yeah. You know, he and he had he was involved. You know, he had got an assist uh, for, for the goal Spurs did score, and then I guess what you would call a pre-assist for the one that they had disallowed. Now he, there were a few flicks and tricks and moments and some good passes and some mm. good movement. Uh, you know, I thought he actually played pretty well. Bale, yeah, Bale yeah. wasn't in the game. Yeah, Bale was, was not very good at all. And to be honest, Kane, I thought, you know, wrongly disallowed goal aside, wasn't especially involved either. But yeah, the, the changes that Spurs made, I don't think really solved any of the problems they had or added anything that they had been lacking. And I... There probably weren't too many people that thought Ryan Mason would end up being a Tottenham manager after these last sort of half a dozen games or so. But I, I would say what you saw on Saturday was probably an indication of why. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought the non-selection of Ndombele, as with the Man City game at Wembley, didn't really make sense. Um, I just think if you're playing against a team that's going to swarm you in midfield, you need someone who can keep hold of the ball. Yeah. And we saw that against City. We saw that against Leeds. It was just based on him having a well, it felt like it was just based on him having a bad game against Southampton, right? He was really bad in that Southampton game and Dombele. And yeah. you know, fatigue will be a factor in that as well, and that might be one of the reasons he's not playing now. But I don't know. I, 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 that feels incredibly rash to leave out one of your better players uh, on the basis of one bad performance. Yeah, I, you know, as you say, I mean, I think that was quite a big tactical oversight in that game in particular. Yeah, I thought Delhi. I thought. Delhi was good. The the little flick pass through for Son's goal, the pass for the Kane disallowed goal. Yeah, that's kind of what you're meant to get with Delhi. It's moment, little flicks, moments of magic and improvisation in the final third. So from him, it was really good to see him playing that well again. It's probably his best. I think uh, Dan Kilpatrick tweeted that was his best performance in the Premier League all season. I think it probably was, which is sad really because I think it's only his fourth or fifth Premier League start of the season. Yeah, fourth, um, I think. Because he's had such a such, such a strange year, completely uh, rejected and ignored by Mourinho. But there it is. I just want to say one quick thing. I know we've said this all, been saying this for years. I thought the VAR disallowing I the mean, Kane goal was ridiculous. It just wasn't offside. It was level. Level is onside. I know it's there's no way like... you can like look at that and say he was offside. As you say, it's level. I mean, yeah. it's really arbitrary. The whole thing. I, I mean, I know a few people have tweeted this over the weekend, but they take a a still image where. You can't actually see Son because there are two defenders kind of standing between him and the camera. So you can't actually see the exact second he kicks the ball. And even if it is right, they draw the line in an arbitrary place as well where it looks like the line on the Leeds defender is could maybe be in a slightly different place in relation to the end of his foot, to the one they've drawn on the end of Kane's foot. And then you kind of look at it and the lines are kind of level and they shift the lines around and then they try and kind of say, oh, is Kane's shoulder offside? And they move the second line around and it's just like, 
and I tweeted this, and I, I stand by this. If the linesman hadn't put his flag up and hadn't thought it was offside, if his initial instinct was that it was onside and he hadn't put his flag up and they played on and then they looked, I think that goal stands. And I agree, yeah. You know, there is no... As far as I'm aware, and I could be wrong on this, and I could be embarrassing myself here, but I don't think the um, clear and obvious error thing applies to offside. I think that's just for, right. oh, that's, that's just mm. for more subjective things, isn't it? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think oh, you're right. You're offside or you're not, basically. And they use their, quote-unquote, technology. To, well, actually, it's technology. They use their, quote-unquote, science to prove or disprove. So-called technology. So-called te- These so-called experts. So-called um, VAR. Yeah, God. Uh, it's just, uh, but again, you know, uh, uh, the key thing to remember is not to be annoyed with the technology, it's to be annoyed with the people. User error. Well, maybe the game would have been different if Kane's goal had stood and Tottenham had gone 2-1 up, but of course uh, they didn't. And I don't think Spurs reacted very well to that in the second half, which is something we've seen a little bit from Spurs over the last few years. And that's why they're left in this kind of unenviable league position now with... Uh, in the fate of their European qualifications for next season left out of their hands. Well, of course, the big the big concern for lot or big issue for lots of Spurs fans now and uh, beyond the last three games of this season is who's going to be the new head coach for next season. This is something which we wrote about a fair bit in what I wrote about last week. Basically, Spurs are still taking their time over the whole process. There's not going to be an announcement anytime soon. I certainly don't not expecting anything before the Leicester game, which is the last game of the season. I think it might roll on longer than that. Steve Hitchin is currently drawing up a sort of three, four, maximum five-man shortlist, uh, and then they'll move on to interviews. They will uh, interview face-to-face if they can, but COVID travel restrictions mean that some of that might have to be on Zoom. I would expect the announcement probably in late May, maybe early June. James, you, are, you, are, you, are you okay with that time scale? Would you rather know sooner? Or I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not especially fussed about knowing before the end of the season. I don't think there's massive benefit to that, really, from, from a personal perspective. You know, and I'm old enough to remember 2003, 2004, when... Levy sat the manager Glenn Hoddle in September and then had a caretaker for the entire season. Uh, and obviously we saw more recently Tim Sherwood in the second half of 13-14 be caretaker for the second half of the season. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think uh, I don't think the time frame is too uh, too drawn out from that perspective. Um, I mean, clearly what is important is having a new man in place like a decent period of time before the start of pre-season which I guess will be what like kind of second week of July or whatever so yeah by like the middle of June I suppose you really want that person to be there um I mean I know uh the Euros is a possible complication if there's anyone there that they may want to talk to or or may want to offer the job but yeah I mean I think I, I would worry about that a little bit if that then took us into like the second week of July and then suddenly you've got like is someone who's been through all the kind of rigours of European Championships then coming back into club football. And I'm not talking about specifically Martinez, although he's the obvious one. Yeah. Quite how that works in terms of getting his feet under the table at Tottenham, uh, I- I'm not so sure. Um, yeah. It is frustrating, and I know a lot of fans will be thinking, Jesus Christ, you know, Nagelsmann's gone, a few other candidates, yeah. they kind of wavered on it. Although, you know, from what we understand, no one's been offered the job, and I know you wrote that last week. But yeah. clearly, it's quite a frustrating time for the fans. Everyone know what's going on, but I actually think it's probably it, it actually probably is in everyone's best interest for them to not rush into a decision. Yeah, yeah. 
Definitely. I think the word coming from the club is very much that they want to make sure they get it right and don't jump into it. And um, there's no point in, in rushing it now and getting it wrong. Oh, I guess one good bit of news is that I know some people have speculated that there wouldn't be any money for the new candidate. Well, I mean, we've heard that I don't think money is going to be a big problem. It's not like Spurs are only looking at people who are currently out of work. And I think that partially explains the timetable, you know, in the sense that if they were... If they were looking at people who were, if they were only looking at candidates who are out of work, then they could do what they're looking now. But obviously, because they they would be looking at candidates who are in work, that's why an announcement is probably likelier after the end of the season because they would want to be interviewing people who are currently coaching other teams. Also, you know, I think probably connected to that, Mourinho getting that Roma job is obviously beneficial to Spurs financially in the sense that Daniel Levy doesn't have to keep paying him his full salary. Once he starts managing Roma in July, charging sixty pound a ticket for that Aston Villa game as well, that would be good for him. I get like six hundred grand out of that, so <laughs> that'd be nice. Yeah, well, it's worth saying, you know, it's um, that is an approach that's obviously upset a lot of Spurs fans. And um, another story to keep an eye on, which I think we'll try and cover in more detail next time, is um, concerns THST, who have called for independent mediation with the club after basically the breakdown of relations between the THST and the Tottenham Hotspur board, who traditionally would would have scheduled meetings. But um, obviously the events of the Super League last month have really have really undermined that relationship. So that's, that is, I, th- I think that's a really interesting, important topic and one that we will be coming back to too soon. Um, in terms of the manager search, James, have you, what did you make of, uh, what did you make of Brighton the other day? Uh, yeah, so I watched, uh, well, I mean, two of the supposed candidates, I guess really Nuno and uh, Potter go head to head on BBC One on uh, Sunday lunchtime. I- and I wouldn't say that I was... Actually, that's a bit unfair. Uh, Brighton were very good in the first half. They played some good football and created some good chances. Scored a decent goal from a set piece and you thought, eh, you know, may- maybe there's something there. And then, and I know there are a lot of people that listen to this podcast who are incredibly pro-Potter. They're fully Potter in, which is fair enough. But then they completely, I mean, they went down to 10 men, Dunk got sent off. And they just completely lost it in the second half. They, they basically, I mean, you know, we're used to seeing this. They sat in for the entire second half, <laughs> you know, at Molyneux as well. I really kind of invited that pressure and again you know it's slightly different circumstances because they had 10 men on the pitch and then conceded two goals well one I guess kind of early in the second half really and the, and the seconds in injury time uh, and lost the game so uh, and then like completely you know uh, Neil Malpai just completely lost his mind at full time as well which in kind of you know that, that kind of potch style really that isn't it I, that, that might be something that appeals to people actually the idea that uh, the players completely lose their shit when things don't go their way as per PSG last week in Spurs uh, in 2016. So, yeah, I'd be lying if I said I was massively impressed by that. Obviously, uh, you know, having said Spurs are going to take their time to make the decision, I, I don't imagine they're going to make it on the basis of 45 minutes of football, thankfully. But, um, yeah, that, that wasn't something that... <laughs> that wasn't something that left me especially convinced, particularly given Wolves haven't been great in the last few weeks. Yeah, it's been interesting how... I've heard from more and more fans saying that Potter is the guy that they want. Uh, Alistair Gold did a good story for Football.London the other day saying that some of the players want Potter in. My own take is I think Potter is a hugely impressive candidate. Uh, I think his coaching record is really good. Um, In terms of his likelihood of getting the job, 
Uh, well, I think he, I think he's very attractive to Spurs in some ways. Ultimately, I wonder whether this might be coming slightly too early for him. You know, he hasn't got that much Premier League, Premier League top flight experience, that much experience working with top players. So I don't know. I wouldn't make him favourite, but I can totally see see the attraction. If you had any other thoughts, James, on on who you think it might be or who you might want Potter aside. No, I, I haven't moved on from my comedy picks from last week. So we'll have Patongan and Dembele, joint managers. That'll do. Vincent Janssen and Clinton and Jean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Vincent Janssen could be fitness coach. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my own view on this is that uh, I think even some candidates who people have said are out of the running are probably not out of the running. So... Um, I alluded to this in the article that we ran last week. I don't think Eric Ten Hag is necessarily out of the running. Um, I know he signed that new contract to Ajax, but I think if Spurs if Spurs really wanted him, I think they could get him. Equally, Brendan Rodgers, I know Rodgers has made it known that he wants to stay at Leicester. Well, I'm not doubting that he does want to stay at Leicester, but I don't think it's impossible that he would end up at Tottenham either. I mean, how, how do you think Le- Leicester, you know, their potential collapse now, they've lost to Newcastle on Friday night and suddenly they're massively looking over their shoulders. And, and they've got two very difficult games in a game against Spurs to come. They could lose their Champions League place. And then how does that change that situation? You know, do, do, it, it, do, do suddenly the Spurs, are they put off Rodgers because for the second season in a row, Leicester have fallen away? Or yeah. does that change his mindset? Does that mean he's more likely to want the job? I, I mean, it, yeah. it, it would put me off, I think. I'd worry about that. And, you know, given, I mean, the whole thing with Liverpool in 2014 is slightly overstated because, you know, that, basically their form in the second half of the season was really good and then they dropped points in two games, basically. But it was still something of a late collapse. And that does make you, <laughs> it does make you worry a combination of a manager susceptible to late collapses and Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. I don't know, that may be not like the best combination. Yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Brendan fan. I think he's amazing, but I, uh, I don't think it's 100 percent impossible that he take he, he takes a Tottenham job. I mean, you know, oh, Tottenham well, could finish ahead. Tottenham could finish ahead of Leicester. They could, and obviously Le- Leicester finishing like fifth for two seasons in a row is is like a really good achievement. That's a very yeah, good, massively. Like, he's done a very good job there. Whatever happens between now and the end, but it, it, nonetheless, I think that was was something that that would uh, be on the minds of Levy and Hitchin. I'd say. I still think if I had to guess. I think the likeliest candidates are probably Martinez, Ten Hag, Rogers, Potter. I think Parker would probably fall into the same bracket as Potter, which is very popular and highly rated young manager who will go on to be very, very good. But maybe this Tottenham job right now is a bit a bit too early in his development. Um, I mean, is it telling that the other job that Scott Parker is being linked with is Bournemouth? I hadn't even seen that, but that does that does make sense. But yeah, I've, I have I have really enjoyed hearing um, hearing the thoughts of Spurs fans on Twitter, and you know, less positive on Martinez than I might have thought, more positive on Potter than I might have thought. Um, so yeah, if you've got any other any other thoughts, guys, on on who you might want or who you don't want, then uh, then let us know. I think that we're probably going to wrap up this week's podcast there, but we will be back again next week where we'll be looking back on the Wolves game which hopefully Spurs will win. Um, and also looking forward to the, the full return of fans uh, in the middle of in the middle of the following week. We might have some protest chat as well, because it's supposed to be the protest, isn't there, at the weekend? Yeah, there will certainly be there will certainly be something at those games. You'll be on the front um, line. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, so guys, thanks a lot for everyone. Thanks for the questions as always. Um, sorry for the questions we don't get around to, but we do read all of them. We do really appreciate you sending them in. And we'll be back again next week. The Athletic.